Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I can't believe it's taken me this long to introduce you to Natalie Kusa. But more importantly, what I want you to know is that Natalie is writing our show notes for the podcast for the next few months. So I hope that you will join me in a big thank you to Natalie. She's pretty groovy. I met her in a training on setting boundaries in your business and in your life, which had a big impact on Sidewalk Talk. And she's really groovy. She's a trauma-sensitive visibility coach and podcast guesting strategist. She supports leaders and healers and guides to grow their visibility without losing themselves in the process. And she's legit. You know, there's a lot of folks that do this kind of stuff, but she's really, really legit. Her work takes a human-first approach, which means she helps her clients to grow their visibility through relationship-based approaches, one of them being podcast guesting. And she has a lot of experience in the nonprofit world. So if you want to learn more about Natalie, check her out at www.uncommon-people.com. And you'll get to hear more from her, not only on this episode, as we talk about things to think about around visibility and human connection, but you'll get to know her through the writing of the Sidewalk Talk podcast show notes, which is pretty great. You know, I'm so excited that we were in this group together, and then I learned this whole new thing about you, Natalie to get to like dive into this whole other aspect of you on the podcast that I don't know. I can't, I'm so excited for this conversation. And I know that it's going to help all of our listeners sort of consider um, how to be a better connector because I really feel like you're doing some interesting stuff. So can you help us locate you a little bit, like where you are in the world? And I'm going to ask the question in a really weird way. How do you want to serve the world? How are you serving the world now? Mm. Oh, I love that question. So let's start with the easy bit then, shall we? You yeah. ask me where I am in the world. <laughs> I'm from the UK originally, so I'm sure you can tell by my accent. But I now live in Dublin, in Ireland. Um, I fell in love with an Irishman in London many years ago. And after a long time, he persuaded me that Ireland could be a great place to set up home. And turns out he was right. <laughs> so, so that's where we are now. Um, so how do I want to serve the world? I love that you're slowly taking the time to consider this question. It's deep, right? Yeah, it is. I want people to be seen mm-hmm. just as they are. Mm-hmm. And they want, I want them to feel safe in doing so. Well, damn girl, now you know why you're, you and I are talking. Can I add one thing as well? You can add more things throughout this whole conversation as they come up. 
Yeah, but the, so the one, my intention that I always set for however I show up in my work is that the people that I touch through in my work feel closer to themselves after we've connected or through our connection than they did before. This is kind of constant coming home to ourselves and learning ourselves and being with ourselves, including the bits of ourselves that we really don't want to be with. Mm. All of that. Yeah. That last piece feels really, what comes alive in me as I hear you say that is that it's not about you being in this guru position. You're in an empowerment position. You're empowering others, not. I see myself as a guide. Uh huh. I don't really see myself as empowering people, if I'm okay. honest. Okay. I don't think people need to be empowered by something external to themselves, even okay. another person. I, th- I believe we empower ourselves and other people can help guide us towards that or offer us ways of doing it or hold the space for us to explore what that means like for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how I see it. The, mm-hmm. the, we each do our own empowerment, yeah. but we take in inspiration and challenge and new ways of thinking mm-hmm. from everything around us, not, not just people. Right. That's the way that I see it. That sounds really esoteric, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's um didn't sound esoteric to me. Okay. It, it did it did lead to it did lead to a question, which is what do you think the function of relationship is then in, in sort of helping us um fully step into what we're meant to step into? I mean you it sounds like your relationship is a relationship as a guide. Um let's just riff a little bit on this idea of, well, how does relationship help us in help, help feels like the wrong word, Natalie. (laughs) What are relationships for in this whole process? How's that? What are relationships for? And that's not a small, boy, I'm just throwing these massive questions (laughs) that you can tell me to go buzz off at any moment. (laughs) No, it's good. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, What are relationships for? In this process, anyway, that, that, yeah. you're, that you're that you're guiding people through, I think good relationships, wholesome relationships, are about holding each other in our wholeness. Mm. And I suppose what I mean by that is we all have so many different facets to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be both really funny when we're feeling energized, and can I swear? Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah, and grumpy as fuck when we're not, right? Mm-hmm. And we're the same person. Mm-hmm. One moment hilarious, one moment anything but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. cannot, like not receptive to chatting, just need our own space. Mm-hmm. And both of those are true in the one person. Yeah. And I think what relationships do, when when they're positive, supportive relationships, they're able, the, the other person is able to be with us in both of those and they don't have to like them both like equally they don't Mm -hmm. have to find both of those easy they can tell us for sure you know when we're being annoying or when we've overstepped the mark or you know any of those things I'm not saying that my understanding of good relationships isn't that support means like this kind of rah-rah cheerleading you can never do anything wrong 
but it's that sense of being equal mm-hmm. and sense of trust in each other that you can kind of move between the celebrations and mm-hmm. the challenge and all of that good stuff in a way that's honest mm-hmm. and in a way that isn't pretending that either of you are something that you're not. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, it feels so good when, when I hear you say that is everything in me feels safer. Mm. Right. Cause immediately I feel like, okay. So in this conversation with Natalie right now, all the parts of me are welcome. Mm-hmm. Right. I just had this experience yesterday. I had a meltdown in the post office on Monday. So it wasn't <laughs> yesterday. It was on Monday. And I cried in the post office because I'm in a different country and I don't know how things work. And I have a listening circle that I'm in here. Most of the women were great. One woman who's a coachy type said, I think it's really interesting how you couldn't manage your expectations. And I'm like, oh, all the parts of me are not welcome with you. <laughs> and I, I could feel my whole sympathetic nervous system. <laughs> Because, you know, when I go, when I don't feel safe, I don't withdraw. I go, I go into fight response. So everything that you're saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just, this will be the fun question. How would you have responded if I said I'm fucking crying in the post office right now because I don't know how the German postal system worked? I'm really needing support. (laughs) Because I can see your face and because I can, I can see how you're telling me that story. I'm kind of giggling with you. (laughs) (laughs) Like it feels... I'm sure now it's funny. Now it's funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah, But now, as as you're telling me, there's a lightness to it, like a a kind of absurdity to it. Uh You know, the simple thing, and it just it it kind of sparked me into meltdown. Yeah. Um, There was also a sense in me when I was listening to that of recognition. Mm. I also live in a country that's not the one that I grew up with and you know in loads of ways I have it so easy it's English speaking the people here are friendly I love the culture but there are differences as well that I've had to learn I don't understand how the systems work I get asked a lot where I'm from what my ethnicity is those kind of questions and they come from a really good place they come from a really curious welcoming place and also they feel othering sometimes Mm. Um, so there was a kind of sense of recognition in me when when you were telling me that story as well, that I sensed the like the depth to that. Exp- you, you didn't have a meltdown because the post office systems didn't work or that you didn't understand how the post office systems didn't work. You had a meltdown because it was a, a disconnection, right? That, that would be my understanding of it, that it was a reminder of... I'm not from this place. I don't get this place, you know, on, on whatever level, however that felt to you. And what I needed was connection, which is why I reached out to my listening circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. This takes me into this place where I want to lean into some of the things that you do in, in the world where you've gone from this, you've had some interesting career shifts and the piece for, for those listening that I didn't know about Natalie. So I know that she's a visibility coach and helps people really step into being visible, but all the different really traumatogenic things that come up when we step into being visible and how to really be rooted is kind of how I experience you and, and truthful with ourselves um, as we're doing that. But I didn't realize that you also came from the nonprofit world and 
having had that, having had the going from the professional world to the nonprofit world while it, as a therapist, I'm like, oh, I want to talk to her on the podcast. I think we would, something juicy would come up. But I'd love to hear the, tr- you know, kind of the transition. Like, why did you leave the nonprofit world, which is secure in many ways because you're getting a paycheck to working for yourself um, and, and doing what you do now? Would you be willing to share that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So the, the role that I had, my, my last role in the nonprofit world was as director of partnerships for a pro-choice nonprofit. And for a long time, I loved it. It was my dream job. It was what I'd been going for for many years before that. And I was good at it. And I could see the impact that I was having. And I loved the people that I work with. And then over time, I think the simplest way that I can say it is I was getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. I was starting to see challenges in the nonprofit sector more broadly that didn't feel in integrity to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pace of work was relentless and the funding cycles in nonprofits are relentless. All of that kind of stuff. And I just always had in the back of my mind this pull to want to work for myself. It's just always, I'm quite entrepreneurial in, in the way that I experience the world. And I always had it in the back of my mind, but I was never, I was going to say I was never brave enough, but I think actually I was never safe enough in my finances. I think that's actually what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And then in my old, work there was a woman that I worked with that I didn't even know her particularly well but I just adored her she was sparky and incredible and committed and just glowy she was also young she was she's in her very early 30s newly married and she died very suddenly um like within the space of a day and there was something about the impact of losing her that made me reflect on my own life mm-hmm. and then made I could it was like a mirror I could see so clearly that everything that I found so kind of intriguing about her and that I respected her for I'd sort of lost in myself somehow mm-hmm. I didn't feel like a glowy in integrity person anymore that was mm-hmm. going after the things that I wanted and showing up in the way that I wanted So that was a bit of a question to me. If not now, when? (laughs) When will you do this thing that you say that you want to do? So this loss was like some major truth serum. Like if you don't do this now, this this is your life. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that I understood. Yeah. Before. But we we have these wake-up calls in in life, don't we? Mm -hmm. And for me, this was the one, yeah, that that, that sparked the decision to, to do the thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, I'd, mm-hmm. that I'd wanted to do and to show up in the world in the way that I wanted to show up and to contribute what I knew was within me Yeah, to be able to contribute. Yeah. Well, and now you do something called visibility coaching, which I find really interesting, just even from my own journey of visibility 
in the nonprofit, it's interesting because this is actually something I didn't prepare you for. So, <laughs> but it's interesting to be visible when you're leading a nonprofit and be visible leading a for-profit. That's been a very interesting edge, right? But what, I don't even know what visibility coaching really is. So can you can you say more about what it is that you do and and why this? Why of of all the things that you've been doing in your past career, what the reason why I'm talking to you is because you have integrity out the wazoo. I don't I don't bring people on here that are pitching shit. I bring people on here that I know are share my values, and so. I want to hear what a high integrity person that leaves a really juicy nonprofit career to start a visibility coaching program, why you do that. And like, what was that call and what is it? Sounds wild when you put it like that. <laughs> you sound like you sound like an adventurous wild gal when I say it like that. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, so at his heart how I approach visibility coaching anyway, is about supporting people to reconnect with themselves in such a way that they're able to connect with others. Mm -hmm. Like they're literally able to do the work of letting themselves be seen, which sounds so simple. And for some people it is. For, for some people that is a, a thing they can just do, like you know, and any of the other things that they would do every single day in their life, you know, it feels as easy to them as making a cup of tea. But for many of us, and by the many of us, it's usually women or black folks or people that don't, that don't kind of fit into the norm in, in some way. There are all these layers of conditioning that can make it really challenging to let yourself be seen as you are, you know, like letting yourself be seen beyond the performative way that's mm -hmm. worked for you or not previously. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's at the heart of my work. And then really practically, so I, I work with business owners, really practically the work is around what are the partnerships they they can develop to get in front of more of their perfect fit clients. What are the podcasts they can guest on that let them share their message in a way that resonates with the people that need to hear it? Mm -hmm. How can they develop messaging that feels true to them and speaks straight to the heart of their perfect fit clients? Mm -hmm. It's all of that strategic stuff plus the inner work that, that creates visibility that is impactful and feels safe mm -hmm. to to the person that is growing their visibility. I don't resonate with any of this, what you're saying right now at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am steeped in some new developmental trauma training because as a couples therapist, you know, there's shock trauma and then there's developmental trauma, right? And when you work with couples, you can't not meet person's developmental trauma. If they come in around something around work, you may not meet it because it may not be lit up. I think it's always there, but it's the centerpiece of what's there when you're working with a couple because developmental trauma is a relational trauma. <laughs> and um, you, talk a lot, you talk a bit about trauma in this visibility cycle. And it makes sense to me because to be visible 
is is having relationship with a, an authority figure. The authority happens to be the public, but it still has that same mm, scary uh, parental. It, the, the the public can feel like a parental object. Like when I put myself out there, I can be rejected and be terrified about that rejection, or I can feel abandoned, or I can feel not good enough, all those things that shape our developmental trauma. And you work with people on that. Um, can you say more? Because I think it's genius how you've set it up. I think it's really interesting. I don't think anyone else is really tackling it quite this way. So help me into, help me into your world there. Yeah, I'd love to. So I think just to kind of set the parameters of it, that I, I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. I've done trauma-sensitive training. I used to be a social worker. I did some family therapy training, like my foundational year of family therapy training way back when. So I describe my work as trauma-sensitive. And what I mean by that is that I don't do a deep dive into trauma in the way that you would, Tracy, because you're a therapist and, and you've, you've had all of that training in order to be able to, to do so safely. What I do is I can help people see the impact of their trauma. And then we don't do a deep dive into the trauma. What we do a deep dive into is the post-traumatic growth, I suppose you might, you mm. might call it. What are the things and ways of being that can soothe people's nervous systems and increase their regulation? so that they can take the risks that they want to take without it feeling that kind of busting through your comfort zone and then hiding. And then, you know, that kind of, here we go. I oh, know, I know go. nothing <laughs> about this, what you speak. I know nothing about this, what you speak. <laughs> yeah. It's, we, I mean, we've all, I've, I've for sure done it. We've, we've all done it. It's a very, there's nothing wrong with that way. Uh, you know, in a in a kind of objective way. Other my, than, my my body begs to differ with that now. Yeah, it feels painful, <laughs> right? It feels it feels exhausting and terrifying and painful and kind of out of sync. It feels out of integrity, even if what you're doing feels in integrity. If you're working against yourself in that way, it's not truly in integrity. So I help people work out. What does feel in integrity? And over time, that grows. Over time, the thing that you did at first that felt absolutely terrifying feels okay. Mm -hmm. And then over some more time, it feels great. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't. And it's all part of an experiment. and You don't have to show up in that way anymore. You know, there are infinite numbers of ways that we can show up in the world. If we're a business owner, show up you know, in order to grow our business, mm -hmm. but just on a human level, there are ways in which we can, well, we naturally do it anyway, right? We, we show up differently with different people and with different situations. Mm -hmm. We're already doing it. We don't need a coach to help us to do that. Mm -hmm. But what coaching does is it helps that become more explicit so we can become really intentional mm -hmm. about how we want to show up in ways that resonate with the people we want to impact and in ways that feel in integrity for ourselves, including our nervous system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think that there are some models that aren't advocating integrity. 
right? I think that they can be, you know, be a superhero and go out there and bust down the doors of all of your defense mechanisms. And, you know, it's some moral failing of yours if you can't do that. (laughs) Just think positive, rise to the occasion, you know? And what I hear you saying is, no, let's kind of understand how and why you operate. Let's experiment gently. Let's, I mean, I'll tell you all the little fantasies that came up as I was listening to you. I think I'm a little pissed off right now at the world. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I'm pissed off about is that there is this, like, um, even in the personal growth space, this mold of the ideal person. And there's also this mold of the ideal growth person and that growing happens in this one particular way, right? And I think that's largely perpetuated by a capitalist society that gives a very left brain approach to growing, that you need to stop thinking this way. You need to think these different thoughts. You need to stop behaving this way. You need to behave in this way, right? It's not this experimentation that I hear you talking about. It's not this invitation to explore who are you really, right? And let's resource you in a way that your nervous system can actually feel steady, even when the world may still want you to be this plastic person. That's kind of what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. That's not what every coach is doing, Natalie. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a therapist. I don't want to say coach. I think therapists are just as freaking bad at this. You know? So... What's what's unique, though, is that you're coaching people in, in the context of their business. And that's also interesting because, um, well, so aside from becoming more of who they are, the other piece that I think I know, speaking from experience for me, it's also staying accountable to not, I don't want to say not shrinking because I always, I mean, it's normal for us all to shrink back into old patterns. But I think staying accountable to the integrity anyway. Okay, so I shrinked back into my old pattern, but maybe the high integrity act is to not shame myself for doing that for the first time, you know? Um, How do you help people get from point A to point B without using these old systems of, you know, finger wagging? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I use something called the leadership designs in my work. And they're a trauma-aware way of understanding who we are at our core, what our core needs are, how we lead, how we show up, how we connect with people, how we create. Um, there are four designs. And so talking about, you know, this kind of idea of like, just show up, it'll be fine. That is actually really good advice if you're a conductor. If, if you're a conductor, your core need is to be in control. and you're one of those people that is naturally very assertive, very able to speak your mind, share your opinions. Conductors tend to find visibility pretty straightforward. You know, that that's them. The other three designs, oh, conductors also are very high risk. They're, they're very tolerant of high risk. So if they you know, do speak on their opinion and get a ton of criticism in response they find that relatively easy to shake off and try again tomorrow you know that that's their vibe um the other three designs there's the nurturer the visionary and the analyst each have their own challenges 
with with visibility and strengths, of course. It's, it's not that they just find it challenging. But what I do is we use the leadership designs as a lens to understand. We always start with the person's core needs. What's your core need when you're showing up? So if you're a nurturer, your core need is likely to be emotional safety or emotional security. Okay, how do we build that in? How do we start from that place instead of trying to bypass your need for emotional security and just going straight to the shiny stuff? And then what, what I see happening for nurturers is they go for the shiny stuff. You know, they speak at the summit or speak up in a meeting, sharing that scary opinion. It might go really well in the moment, but then straight after they're like, bang, there's the vulnerability hangover because they don't feel safe. Yeah. So it causes this kind of contraction in a way that not the healthy, like, expand oh and then now naturally we just contract as everything does in nature and mm-hmm. then we're ready to expand again mm-hmm. but this kind of snap back almost like a like they've pulled the end of their elastic band and then let go and then it feels painful because it's just bounced back onto their finger and it hurts mm-hmm. it, it's that kind of experience of visibility yeah. so starting with core needs is always the way to go I, yeah I believe yeah yeah no I love that I, I definitely have looked at your leadership designs and I am a visionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I love that. <laughs> and I, but interestingly, what I resonated with this nurture is I get picked on for being a visionary, right? I get told, oh, you're just classic American. That's so American, you know? And I'm like, or they'll be envious because they think that visionary, you know, I've had people think that visionary is the right way to be. And I'm like, dude, you can go do a like map of my family system. This is like goes down the family line. If you had met my grandfather, you'd be like, oh, this isn't Tracy. Like her mother's like this. Her, fa- her, her grandfather's like this. My little cousin is like, I mean, we're all, this is our style. I, I don't yeah. know. It's just a family thing. Um, but what this leadership's designs um, piece, which I, I know you said that you have an assessment. Actually, I sent my Esther, my friend Esther. I said, I think you're actually a conductor. She goes, no, I'm not. And I said, I don't think you're thinking of conductor as this like kind of top doggy bossy person. I don't think you're that, but I I think that you are a conductor. And she goes, holy shit, you're right. I am. (laughs) I went and took that thing. I'm a conductor. I see. I knew. I knew. But I also think um, it's, it gives you a little more empathy for other people's styles too. So it's, I highly recommend going and following. I just told us, I just told a psychotherapy client yesterday. I said, I think you need to go follow Natalie's Instagram account. (laughs) <laughs> I love that Tracy thank as you they're, as, they're, as they're starting a business I said I think this would be a really good person for you to follow just in terms of you know giving yourself permission to have these experiences that you're having um but you have to co- you have to give me free coaching now on this podcast what are the top three things I need to look out for as a visionary <laughs> oh you don't have to you can tell me no sorry you gotta pay me bitch <laughs> No, go for it. Go on, it's fun. Let's. All right. So, as a visionary, often, so visionaries. I mean, you are literally visionary, and what I mean by that is that you you see the big picture. You have you're very future focused, and you have a vision for what you want the world to be like, how you want to contribute to to that vision. And then, alongside that, visionaries often experience energetically really high highs where you just get 
you know, you, you're hyper-focused, you can get endless amounts of work done. Whatever questions people throw at you, you've got a response there and then, you know, you're kind of all-encompassing, followed by these low lows where everything feels too much. The self-doubt is deafening. And that that's one of the like really fundamental experiences of, of visionaries often. Does that, I mean, you're nodding. <laughs> does, does that resonate with you? I'm telling you, I've been to your website. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had to, you know, I have stepped back from, look, I know this is me, which means that I have to choose to give to the right scenarios and also make sure that I get paid. Because if I'm going to give the big high end energy, I have to have enough money to get enough therapy to hold me when I'm in those dark places. I mean, for real, I need to be in support groups. I need to have holding um, I'm doing, I, I actually get a lot of support by doing more therapeutic trainings. Like I'm in a year long complex PTSD training right now. Um, and it's very intensive. Like you don't just get to learn the model. You have to become the model. So it's very practice, the skills oriented. Um, and when I was in nonprofit, because the nonprofit setup tends to be that you don't pay for operation staff, Right it's like, let's get by on as little as possible. And so I was offering all this life force. And then the not paying myself was actually making the low lower mm-hmm. in a way. And so I've really realized I, I am unwilling, knowing how I'm organized to, to, to funnel this kind of visionary energy into stuff unless I'm getting paid. Yeah. And nonprofits just don't pay enough to make up for that. Often, yeah. But, I mean, my nonprofit, the way I ran, and I hated running the the fundraisers, you know? So I'm like, it's it's like a knife. Fundraising is like a knife to my heart. I hated it. Mm. Yeah. So you were asking for like a coaching thing. (laughs) The, 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 The question that's coming up for me. So as a visionary, your core need is validation. And that often shows up as you want recognition. You, you, you want that kind of connection through recognition. That's, that's, that's why I've, I've had trolls that tell me that I'm a narcissistic asshole sometimes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really not a narcissistic asshole, I swear. <laughs> so my question is, how can you integrate or invite validation into everything that you contribute? Damn, girl. You know, it's interesting that my response about the narcissistic asshole, even though I was defending against that, it's what I actually believe. My need for validation must mean that I'm a narcissistic asshole. So therefore, I don't invite it in anywhere. Mm-hmm. I block it. So people will pay me these compliments. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it just happened on our, in our call when you said, well, you're a therapist and you go deeper with trauma. And I gave you this look like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's a question then to sit with. How can you allow validation in, make some space for validation? So you guys are all going to go work with Nat with Natalie after this, right? <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> listening. I want to actually take this. I'm, I'm, I am taking you in fully, but I also want to include the other people that are listening now. This piece that you're working with me on and these leadership designs and this idea of visibility, I think about what we do when we sit and listen on the sidewalk. 
right? Because we're very visible when we're sitting there. And it's the number one question that I get asked how scary it is to be sitting there on a public sidewalk offering to listen to somebody. And every listener has a different experience of what that's like. Some people feel incredibly rejected. Some people feel emboldened. You really do get to meet, I think, in some some ways, these different aspects of yourself. Just what happens when you're trying to invite someone to come sit down in your chair. And I, I, it's funny, I once had this young woman, she was the greeter at one of our events, and she she was very introverted. And she said to me, uh, Tracy, I'm not this big personality like you. I can't go greet. And I said, no, 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 you, you greet as you. And so she would very quietly walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm, I'm listening to people today. Would you like to sit down? And I'd like to listen to you one by one. And she had a full freaking chair because she was herself. But how, how could some of this, this framework that you're holding your, your people with also help us in our regular lives, potentially? I mean, I, you may have thought of this, you may not, but maybe we can play with it a little bit and riff on it and help the listeners be better listeners on the sidewalk. Mm. So thinking of the woman that you've just shared her experience, my guess would be that she's probably a nurturer. Mm-hmm. So her core need is emotional safety. Mm-hmm. You know, to her, it felt, oh, I'm not really extrovert and magnetic. So how could I possibly, you know, go and invite somebody to talk to me while I listen? Whereas if she's able to tap into what makes her feel emotionally safe, which sounds like in that conversation, you know, you kind of reassuring her, no, not everybody wants to speak to somebody like me. Some people would, you know, would love to speak to somebody that's a bit gentler, that they then feel really safe with, you know, that's, that's their feeling of safety. Sounds like that maybe gave her enough of a feeling of safety to then be able to go out and try and say, you know, I'm listening today, would you like to talk to me? And it doesn't surprise me that she had a full seat, because who doesn't want to be listened to by somebody that really wants to spend that time hearing us mm-hmm. and introverts are amazing at that yeah. you know they they don't have this part of their brain that says oh I'll just chip in this thing like I bet they haven't thought of this idea <laughs> you know which which is also a brilliant energetic match for some people but for those who don't want that who just want the silence and the calm and the sense of groundedness and the sense of inner strength mm-hmm. that nurturers for sure really often bring Um, And I think it can be an introvert thing as well. So in answer to your question about how we can use the designs or, you know, kind of understanding whether, you know, our introvertness or extrovertness, how it can support us to show up in our everyday life. I think it's about really intentionally understanding what it is that we do offer when we are ourselves. So not trying to become a louder version or a shinier version, but what do oh. we offer just as we are? So I'm just going to slowly say that again, because my whole body is humming. It's about finding out what we do offer just as ourselves. Mm. And having faith that what we offer just as ourselves is enough. Mm -hmm. that we don't actually have to shapeshift 
to be that plastic person that society says is the ideal offering. I think this is what I'll bring myself into it. I am who I am. It's not performative. But some people think that because I'm blonde, I look, I look like the freaking white girl poster child. I mean, it's ridiculous. But I have so much capacity and interest. I don't, I, I don't want people to think that this is, that there is a mold. I, I once did a, a, a YouTube video on, I, I sure hope psychotherapy doesn't convince people to become slices of American cheese. I don't know if you know what American cheese is. It's like rubber and it's wrapped in individually wrapped plastic. It's like really gross. Cheese. Yes, you know, it's the hamburger like cheese. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just am sick of this mold thing. And I want this, what you're saying. I, I'm buying what you're selling, <laughs> which is uh, God, there's just so much. This sounds, you, now I'm going to go esoteric, Natalie. I love people and I love people's complexity. And I love people that are complicated usually more than the ones that look like American cheese. I, I love the ones that are a little bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest, because they're real. They're a piece of art. They're like looking at a Vasily Kandinsky painting. I'm like, oh my God, I could look at you all day long, you know? And I feel like the challenge that you invite us to is can we feel like we're enough in what we have to offer as ourselves when we're listening on the sidewalk? Mm-hmm. Don't have to be more. And can people trust that the act of listening? Is enough. Because I think it is. Being listened to has changed my life a few times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people listening can think of their own versions of when that's been true for them. So if the, if the faith in yourself being enough is something that you're working towards and still feels like a, a reach, What about faith in just that, that the act of you giving your time freely and listening to another human sitting in front of you? That might be easier to believe that it's enough. Mm. A great starting point, a great way in. Beautiful. That feels like a beautiful segue because I know we're coming to the end of our time. I just want to highlight that as maybe an invitation for everyone listening, that maybe if you can't believe right right yet that you're enough, maybe you can believe your listening is enough as a starting place. And I, I would invite everyone that's listening, whether you're listening with Sidewalk Talk or you're somebody that's happened upon this podcast, you could go do that today. You go to listen to someone wholeheartedly today as a doorway into your own enoughness. I love that. There are a couple things before we transition to our closing question, which is fun, where I get out of the way. You, I'm going to put information about Natalie's um, work 
in the show notes, there's one link in particular I want to highlight. I mentioned it when I sent it to my friend Esther. She has these um, assessments. So, you know, the four leadership um, designs, they're these trauma-aware designs that you can go take. And I highly recommend you go do that. It's really enlightening, as you could tell from our conversation. So go do that. Um, Natalie, we have this ritual as how we, in how we close our conversation where I get out of the way and you don't speak to me. You speak to really people in many different countries around the world who listen on sidewalks, either a wish or words of wisdom. I'd like to say thank you for what you do. I think it's incredible that you can be walking along a pavement and there's somebody there that says, hey, do you want to chat? I'll listen. It just feels so joyful to me and so human. <laughs> you know, like there's nowhere to hide in that. It's just two people having a chat. And that feels that feels like an adventure to me. So yeah, I'd like to thank you for giving the people that chat to you the opportunity for an adventure in their day that they didn't see coming. How fun is that? It feels really joyful to me. So yeah. Thank you for, for doing that. What a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much. And I don't think I said Natalie's last name. It's Natalie Kusa, although it'll be all over in the show notes and, and when we go live. But um, thanks for the work you do in the world, too, and for how you show up. Thanks, yeah. Tracy. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for having me. It's been a ball. It's been ball. Oh, I <laughs> learned a new slang word. All right. It's been a ball. <laughs> Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.